I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by Rocky Romanella. And Rocky spent 36 years at UPS being involved with the integration of over 20 acquisitions, serving for a time as president, vice president, chief operating officer, and general manager in various subsidiaries. But right now, he is president and CEO of 360 Management Services, a complete management services company focused on results. Using seasoned professionals and a process-oriented approach, 360 Management Services bridges strategies with results. And I've asked Rocky to join us here today so we can all learn how to run our businesses a little better and create a unified company with one vision and brand. So Rocky, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? Uh, excellent. It's a pleasure to be here. and I look forward to speaking with you and your audience. I think we can uh, learn together as we discuss uh, some of the different ways that we can grow and develop as leaders and as business professionals. Right. Well, I mean, you've had it obviously a very decorative Decorated uh, business career, corporate career, and service career, because at the end of the day, all businesses provide a service of some sort. But how did you get started? I mean, what were you doing before you came into the business world, the entrepreneurial world? Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Do you have a long line of business owners in your family? or No, actually, my dad, uh, rest his soul, has since passed away, but my dad uh, came over from Italy and uh, looked at uh, his four kids, and I was the oldest, and said, one of my kids is going to college, and it's you. I said, okay. He said, but unfortunately, we have no money. So at the time, UPS... <laughs> So at the time, UPS had, had part-time jobs, and a good friend of mine, uh, Mike Coffey, got a job at UPS, and kind of the whole high school class went to UPS, and we were unloading trailers and loading trailers. And, I, and my goal was to be a high school history teacher and a baseball coach. So that's what hmm. I was going to go to college for. Worked, started my way up, but working my way up to UPS part-time, and that changed my major to management because, in my mind, uh, good leaders were good teachers. And so I thought, well, it could be a good extension. And UPS had a promotion from within policy, and so as I worked my way through college. I went to St. John's University in uh, New York and it was basically a commuter college. And so I said, wow, this this kind of fits really well. And then uh, UPS had the promotion with the policy, as I said, so I was able to work my way up to the organization. No, there was no entrepreneurs in the family. Uh, it was just one of those. My dad, uh, when I took the job at UPS, told me a couple things that stuck with me throughout my career. One was whatever they ask you to do, say yes, and then thank you. Mm. And so as I kind of grew with the, inside the organization, and, and I never really had intentions of moving, we moved all over the country with UPS. But every time they said to me, hey, we got this opportunity for you in Chicago, or we've got this integration of some acquisitions, would you be interested? All I could think of my dad saying, said to me, just say yes and thank you. So I said, yeah, sure. If you think I can do it, um, let's, let's go ahead and do this. And then he said one other thing, uh, Daryl, I think that's always stuck with me, and that's learn your job and then learn some more. The day you think you know it all, the day you think you believe you've got it all nailed down is the day you know, you're really starting to go backwards or the day you're really starting to lose that competitive edge. And so I've always had that in my mind. You learn your job and then learn some more. Mm. Great wisdom from a great man who uh, was a, just a tremendous influence in my life growing up. Yeah, that's so awesome. I've heard something similar, which I think was a really powerful lesson for me as well. And it was work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And I think that's kind of attributes to the same thing. Obviously, you want to do good at your job, but it means that, you know, do more than that. So I think that's a fantastic lesson. And I think anyone that's a business owner needs to also appreciate that as well. I'm taking care of uh, some family. I got three teenagers living with me right now. And I tell them, you know, like five and two or six and one. Pick your poison. <laughs> That's right. Whether you're religious or not, six and one is what the Bible says. I'm spiritual, not religious, but five and two is what our society's built around. And so yep. even if you're done for the day, like read a book, like do something. You cannot rest. So I hear, you know, it's funny. My dad also said to me, uh, it's what you do and no one's watching that counts. Mm. And so as a young kid, I would say, dad, that's the best part. You just ruined the best part. Nobody's watching. He <laughs> said, hey, two people are always watching. The man upstairs and you in the mirror. You always look in the mirror and you always know what you did and you've always got that kind of bird's eye view of who you are and what you stand for. So yeah, I think those are great lessons and it, it, I think they're timeless. In every generation, those things are important. You know, it's what you do and no one's watching that counts. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much because that's so true. 
through, it speaks to the habits and routines and rituals that you, you know, and like you said, the midnight oil, so to speak, that you burn. Sure. Well, and if you think about it from a business perspective, uh, to the degree to which you as a business owner, or even in a large corporation like a UPS or any company that you're working for, to the degree to which you can get everyone in an organization to perform and execute your brand promise when, when no one's watching, isn't that really what makes you a great company or a great small business, right? Yeah. You're not there behind the cash register, but the people in your care that are taking care of your business, represent your brand, are acting like an owner and they're making those key decisions because, and no one's watching. You're not there. You know, you're off take, doing some other things. Maybe you're going out for another sale or you know, trying to grow the business, but that person that's representing your brand when you're not around, then no one's watching, does the right things on behalf of your customer, does the right things on behalf of your business. That's a way to look at it besides a moral ethical perspective, but from a good business perspective. Right. And that's about accomplishing goals through others. So, I mean, I had another question in mind, but how do you do that? I mean, as someone that's had dealt in big companies, how do you do that? How do you train effectively or hire effectively to accomplish that with your team, with your staff and your business? Well, I think that there's four key things that I think about when it comes to that, when it comes to that process of, of trying to create a world-class team or a world-class organization. I think the first thing is clarity. I think you as the leader have to have clarity. You have to speak in clarity. People need to clearly understand what's expected of them, what the goals and vision of the organization are, and what's it mean to be a member of this team and what role do I play, right? I talk about this concept of balanced leadership in my book and it's think like a customer, feel like a valued individual, but act like an owner in all the things that you do. So the degree to which you as a leader or I as the business owner can create clarity that everybody clearly understands where we're going, what we're trying to accomplish and why it's important and what role you play. I think clarity is so important. Second thing is I think it's important that you only accept the person's best, right? Each person, you know, skill sets will be different, but I think it's important that, you know, as the leader, you accept only the best from yourself, as you and I talked about, right? You know, you talked about mm -hmm. before, you know, working on yourself, you know, it's the same thing. It's only accept the person's best, right? You know, I always talk about this concept of don't stop at the first right answer. A lot of times people will stop at the first right answer. They'll bring you that first right answer. And although that may be a good answer, what if you push yourself a little bit more? Would there be a better answer behind it? It's not that the answer you brought me isn't a good answer, but maybe there's something a little bit more there. Maybe there's something a little better. So pushing people not to accept that first right answer and only accepting their best improves them as an individual and as a leader, but also improves your organization. Mm. I think the third Third thing is this concept of refocusing on the goal. I think sometimes we, we get a little bit lost in the minutia. You know, we get lost in sometimes the details. You know, we can't make a decision because we analyze, we overanalyze things. I think refocus on the goal. When we, when we get off track slightly, let's kind of take a deep breath. What are we trying to accomplish? What are we all about? What are the things that we said, you know, who are we? What do we stand for? Mm -hmm. You know, what are the things we won't compromise? So refocus on a goal. And then the last thing is, you know, expect a commitment. And that commitment should be from you to your people and your people back to you. It's that two-way street, right? So expect a commitment. They should expect a commitment from you. You know, you're building this business. And so you're in it to be successful, but you're in it to build a business that's good for their customers, but it's also good for the people, you know, they're in your care, the people that are that are representing your brand, the people who carry your brand forward, right? So they should feel good about that. They expect that commitment from you to build a world-class organization, and you should expect that commitment back from them that, okay, you're part of this and what role do you play and are you committed to help us grow this business together? And then I think the last part of that expecting a commitment is then you always got to do a little bit of following up. Are things going the way? You know, you shouldn't accept the first right answer from your people the way you don't accept the first right answer from them. So I think those, those four quick principles of clarity, only accepting a person's best, refocus on the goal when people start to get a little bit, you know, uh, off kilter, out of sorts, and then expect a commitment from them and you to them as well. And I think those four key things really help, you know, kind of help you build that business that you're trying to accomplish. I think that's extremely powerful because people want to do a good job, right? Most people want to be good at what they do. Most people want to find value and meaning and see progress and, you know, and be recognized for their time, energy and effort and the good that they do. So I really think that this it just makes sense. It sounds like com when you finish it, I'm like, that's such common sense. But I think for a lot of people listening, including myself, I mean, I hope everyone's got a pen. I'm taking notes as well. It was a writer downer because I think that it's good to refocus on the goals. So even if you thought you knew it, it's good to refocus. Uh, and I agree with you. By the way, I agree with you a thousand percent. I mean, the vast majority of people do not get up in the morning and say, you know what? Today, I'm going to be a bad employee. 
or I'm not going to really do a good job today. No, people have good intentions. They, you know, they want to accomplish good things. But then what happens is, you know, we kind of lose track a little bit or we get taken off a track or we get a little bit confused or there's confusion in the map ahead, you know, that we thought we had to get to where we were going. And I think that clarity is so important and the refocus is so important. But I agree with you. You know, the vast majority of people that are in your care or that are working for you really want to do a good job. It's can you help them execute that good job? So they see their role. You know, they part of the problem or are they part of the solution? Well, mm. the vast majority of the time, they're part of the solution. Mm. Yeah, so well said. So for yourself, what were some of the biggest challenges that you had overcome in your career? I mean, you've obviously dealt with a lot of uh, acquisitions, right? Uh, restructuring processes and training people probably not even physically, remotely. So you've done so many different things. What were some of the biggest challenges you had in your business and how did you overcome them? For me, it was always, you know, I got asked that question years ago and someone said to me, you know, what's your biggest concern? As you're running one of UPS's largest district. And I said, you know, my biggest concern is that they're going to wake up one day and say, wait a minute, that's the guy we promoted? I didn't realize that was him, <laughs> right? That imposter syndrome. Yeah. Can you do the right things? Are you capable? Are you, are you fully equipped? You know, can you lead your people? And I always had that concern that I, I need to be a good leader. I need to move the organization. People are counting on you. And I wanted to, mm-hmm. you, know, you, only, you really don't want to let people down, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying as hard as you can. And are you prepared? Are you doing the right things? And so for me, it was always that, you know, can I be that good leader? You know, can I make good decisions when it's, it's time for me to, to make good decisions? And so I think that's always important. And the minute that that being a servant leader kind of concept was always something that I wanted to make sure I stayed grounded and make sure that, uh, you know, that I always took the care of my people in, in mind when I was making my decisions. I think the tangible things are, you know, it's funny, I do uh, public speaking now as part of the 360 management team, and I'm out doing these conferences and keynote speaking. But it was funny if, if you know, if you met some of the guys I went to, uh, people I went to high school with or grammar school with, they would say, that's the last person we ever thought would do public speaking, you know? <laughs> like, you know, I remember in the school play, I wanted, in fifth grade, I went to Catholic grammar school. I wanted to be the baby Jesus, just wrapped me in swaddling clothes. I don't want to say a word. I don't want to be on stage. <laughs> I don't want to do a thing. And so, but you realize that if you were going to be a leader and as I was growing up inside of UPS, it was important for me to be able to articulate the message and to be able to talk to our people and walk the talk. And so you work very hard at that. And that's not something I'm, you know, I'm comfortable doing, but when I'm in that setting, you know, you probably, hopefully you would not notice that. And for me, the way around that was this one-on-one concept. I'm much better one-on-one, you and I speaking today, Daryl. So when I'm in an audience, I try to pick out people inside the audience and try to visualize me having a one-on-one conversation with them. There may be 3,000 people in that audience, but to me, it's a one-on-one conversation. One conversation. Right. Yeah. So you pick up these tricks along the way because you have to look at what you know what's important for me to be a good leader. If being a good communicator is a very important you know attribute of good leadership, then I need to work on that. I, I just can't say, well, I'm not really a good public speaker, so therefore I'm not going to be a public speaker. Sorry, that's not what you signed up for, right? Right. You, know, you said, put me in coach. We promoted you. You took the job. You better do everything you can. So for me, it was public speaking. And fortunately, I had a lot of opportunities to do that. I got much better at it. And I'm always working at that. And so there's always going to be those things that you need to work on personally. But if you're willing to work on them and you're willing to seek help and realize that it's not about you, it's about your people and it's about the things you're trying to accomplish, not make things so internally focused, there's always someone out there willing to help. And people are always willing to help you if you show that openness and your willingness to learn yourself and help them learn. It becomes a two-way street. You help each other. Mm, I really love that. And I love how you made it very real. And what I mean by that is, like you say, you start focusing on having a one-on-one conversation because I know for myself, I've spoken on some stages at times. In any event, it's easy to get into like public speak or corporate speak, like, hello, everybody. But that's not what it is. Like for you, it might be one to many, but for the individual people, the individual employees, it's them. It's a one-on-one conversation, right? So it's really important that you make it relevant for them on a one-on-one level. So I actually really enjoyed that, whether it's public speaking or even like you're saying, like clarity and purpose. Like you might be having a team meeting and for you, you might be talking to 10 people, 20 people, however many, but every one person is looking for what's in it for me. Like, how is this relevant to me? Like even when you gave that list, that checklist, like what makes it relevant to them? Yes. Right. Like I just, I love that focus on that. So I think that's important. And I think the next step that to me was very important is as you take inventory of the things that you've learned along the way, there are some really precious and I 
think, important lessons that you've learned at different points in your life, whether in your childhood, as a foundational things that maybe your parents taught you or mentors or, you know, role models along the way, or at, in business, there's people. Like for me, for example, you asked the question, you know, how did my career start? Well, I started UPS on loading trailers as a part-timer and then became a UPS driver. Well, in those days, we all, you know, everyone drove before they became full-time and you worked your way up to the organization. Well, that lesson stuck with me in everything that I did because I always felt like it was a sign of respect to take the time to learn the jobs of the people that you're managing. And so mm. later on, when we went through our acquisitions at UPS, one of the acquisitions that I was fortunate to get an opportunity to work with is the UPS store. When we purchased it, it was Mailbox, et cetera. And then we rebranded to the UPS store. And in, in that role, I got the opportunity to work with some of the oh, greatest entrepreneurs, small business owners, some owning one store, some owning five or 10 stores, but just great people who, you know, slid everything across the table and said, I'm all in, right? Everything I own, I'm putting in and I'm going to build this business. And so I learned so much from them. But the first thing I did was go work a day in the store mm. because I want, even though, let's face it, Daryl, you and I both know working one day in a store isn't going to give me the expertise as a UPS no. owner. But to me, it was a sign of respect that I want to at least understand what you do. Take the time out of my schedule to say, look, I'm going to come out here and understand what you do and how you do it and at least spend the day with you. Right. Put an apron on. And to me, that's a sign of respect. And so that's a lesson I learned early on where people would say, oh, I can't believe you had to be a driver. No, no. What? It was a good thing. Right. Right. Because then when I managed drivers, we talked about, you know, what it, in those days I was on paper. You could relate. Yes. And that makes you so much more real. And now they can buy in so, on such a better level. I love that. The general who leads from the trenches, not from an armchair at the back behind in the, you know, in the safety of being behind everybody, but actually going down there. Right. You probably garnered, you say it's respecting, but it probably got you so much respect. I wouldn't be surprised if you still every now and then hear from past employees or people that you worked with that are just so happy to hear from you or see you again, because that's just, that's the way it should be because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. The same sort of thing. Like when you're leading them, why should I follow you? Oh, wait, because you know me, you know what I'm like. He's one of us. You know, and that's suddenly now there's buy-in and now they're behind you, rallying behind you, and you get to be their voice. I mean, that's almost like politics to a certain extent. You're their voice, right? You, you're their representative at the top of the company versus some dictator barking orders down. I think that's brilliant. I think you're, and I, you, and you can do it at all levels. I mean, for me, you know, when I retired from UPS, like, you know, I, you know, I received some really nice notes and emails, but the nicest one and the one I kind of kept and, you know, to me is the one that means so much to me is, you know, I had my routines where we all have our routines. And so I would go out and visit a facility and I was visiting a facility outside of uh, DC. And one of my, you know, sort of routines was I'd go out and talk to everybody, say hello to everybody. But then I'd also always go over and visit our mechanics bay because think about it. I mean, we're, a trucking company, right? And so the vehicles moving and, and having vehicles that are always on the road and performing well are an important thing. It's like an NASCAR, you know, the mechanic is so right. important, right? So I'd always go out and visit the bay and visit the, you know, visit the mechanics. And so I go out this day and, and sure enough, there's a mechanic under a tractor and he comes out from on, the, on his creeper and I said, hey, how are you? And of course, you recognize, hey, the region manager, the president of this business unit's here and he gets all excited. So I, re- I would go to shake his hand. He goes, oh, I'm all full of grease. I said, get out. He said, it's the best thing that can happen for me is to get my handful of grease, right? So we laughed about it. I talked to him and asked him how long he's been with UPS and thanked him for his service. Well, you know, five or five years later, I retire and I get this email from him that says, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but you came and visited me in the shop. And I told my whole family, the region manager came to visit me and he shook my hand and got full of grease and he understood what important role I played. And I wanted to say thank you. And it meant so much to me. And it was the highlight of my career. Now, here's a guy with a 36-year career. And that's what, I mean, that, you know, that was a simple act of kindness, but it was just who, it's important that you get out there and you meet people. Yeah. You know, I'm not a mechanic. I don't understand that job to the degree that he does in terms of the technical, but I recognize the fact that he's a good individual who cares about our business. And without him, we're not delivering packages every day if those vehicles aren't running. And so it was that simple getting out there and meeting people. And I think at every level as an owner, it's important for you to understand and touch the people in your care by getting out. And if you have different shifts or you have a new employee or, you know, do you make them feel good about themselves? Do you make them feel warm? Are you, hey, come here, let's, let me show you how to run that one through the cash register. Or let me show you how to make that sale. Or it's those simple things that you do that, 
you know, not seem so important at the time or that big at the time, but later on, it's the impact that you have on them that's lasting that when no one's watching, they do the right things. Mm, 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 mm. I hope people listening, I hope this is resonating with them as much as me, just because you can just hear in your words the care that you have, because there's a lot of people that are trying to run a business that they don't want to deal with customers, they don't want to deal with employees, they just want to work alone in their little silo and get really paid and then go do what they want to do with their family and friends. And you've got such an opposite approach. You're like, we're leading a massive group of people, we're providing this product or service, we're having an impact on the world, and you're touching lives just by going to visit people and like really getting into the gears of things. And it's just a very different and very refreshing perspective because I think that really shines through with kind of the message I try to say on the show off frequently. All a company is, is a group of people solving the problem of another group of people via a product or service. And so it's, you're solving problems. And so, you know, and if, if someone's in the solving the problem, like when some, when a woman's going through labor, everybody's stressed out, right? right. So if you can step in and provide relief for any of those people, right? It just helps the whole system work better. And so that's kind of it. Like some of the staff, all these people, they might be stressed out because like say the mechanic, he's got to get the cars fixed to get them out on the road, you know, but you stepping in and taking care of him is a way of like nurturing, you know, almost like a sniper, but just injecting in little places, working a day at the shop. That's a way that people are like, wow, what my role matters. That's amazing. Sure. And that's a way to just kind of work with love and care. And that's kind of the best way to do business, I think, in my personal opinion, is with tender loving care. And I'm not trying to blow hot smoke up your butt, but just I really respect that. I don't know. I'm, I've not managed companies nearly the size of what you've done, but I definitely think that I feel good because I think what you're saying really resonates with me and whether I hope I act in that way because it just sounds fantastic. And just in, again, the care that you have. Because I mean, if your employees see that, it shines through to the customers. And if the customers see that, you can't buy that sort of competitive advantage. Like you just have to be it. You can't buy that. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Well, I think it also comes down to, you know, the inventory that you place yourself. Like what is success to you as the individual? So as an entrepreneur, what's success to you? I mean, to me, success was this concept of legacy. You know, I talk about in the book, my book, Tighten the Lug Nut. I talk about this concept of legacy, which is, did you leave it a little better place than you found it? Mm. Are your people better because of their time with you? Are your customers better because they interacted with your business? You know, are your share owners or stakeholders, are they better because they did business with you? and you had their best interest or you had the best interest of the organization as you made decisions. And so as you start your business as an entrepreneur, what's your view of your legacy? Mm. You know, is your town a little bit better because your business was in it? And are your people better, you know, are the three or four or five or 10 or whatever number of people that were in your care as your as your employees, were they better because they worked for you versus some other small business? And and that's legacy. It, it starts with how do you view yourself? Now, it's not about you. I mean, I, I, don't, want, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to get that confused with. It's not about you. and It's not a self-centered thing. It's about how do you view success? So for me, success was, is it a little better place than I found it? You know, are people a little bit better because maybe they didn't always agree with Rocky Romanello. Maybe they weren't always happy with the decisions I made, but they respected the fact that I was making decisions with the best interest of our people, our customers, and our share owners, that I made sure that everybody was represented as I thought through my decisions, right? So that's where I was kind of holding myself accountable as I was making those decisions. So as an entrepreneur and you're starting your business and you're thinking about what's my legacy? right? How do I want people to define me? If one of the friends of one of my employees said, hey, I'm going to go work for Daryl, what's he like? Well, that's your legacy. That's your brand. That's who you are. And so you know what that's like. People say, oh, he's, he's this, that, or the, the. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you're defining, right? We all know that, right? So, you know, it's like if you one of your friends has a teacher and you, they had him in the first period, you got him in the third, you're like, what is he or she mm-hmm. like? Well, that's their legacy. That's who they are, right? So we do it all the time. We just don't quantify it or kind of define it in that way. Well, as an entrepreneur, as you're starting your business, besides the obvious, okay, I want my business to do these things and produce this service and I'd love to make a lot of money. Okay, well, that's the obvious. But what's your legacy? Like, you know, How do you want your neighbors to define you, your people to define you, your customers to define you? And that's, that's important. And I don't think people take the time to view their business or view themselves in that light. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think it's really, really important. I, I don't know. I, I got nothing to say that. I think that just is really it's a different well way of said. looking at it right i mean it's just it's we don't think that way though well you know and it's your interview so i'll try and keep this short but it's it's kind of really impacted me and it's part of why i'm doing some of the stuff i've been doing lately but um like it's easy for us to all have role models in life for success or business you know and those things are really like you said they're obvious but 
fortunately or unfortunately, I went through an experience a couple of years ago where I was having some work visa issues with the U.S. So I was in Canada, went home to visit my family for Christmas and wasn't able to get back to my apartment and my car and my life in San Diego. And uh, so I was hanging out at my parents' house, pulling my thumbs, waiting for immigration to do its thing. And I was visiting my parents' neighbor. He'd had five kids when I was a kid. And so I hung out with his kids all the time. And he had been diagnosed with leukemia. And when he was diagnosed, the doctor told me he had six months left to live. And this had been years ago now. And I was going over to visit Doug. And I'd, you know, I'd see him a couple times a week, two, three times a week. I'd go over and say, hey. And a couple weeks go by because immigration's super slow. And then one day I go by and I come over with his coffee, his favorite thing, medium coffee, two cream. And I go by and he's kind of quiet that day. He's not really talking. He seems kind of tired. So I just chat with everybody else in the house. And I remember looking around the room. And Doug's in his bed, like the, you know, in this makeshift kind of hospital room in the house, I guess. And I see all these get well soon, bumpa, we love you, grandpa, all these little hand drawings from his grandkids because all of his five kids have at least one kid of their own and uh you know i'm just seeing that in like cards people have sent and stuff and anyways i hang out chat for about a half hour and i go home and about 20 minutes later there's a knock on my door and it's one of the neighbors and they said doug just passed and so i go back over and when i go over doug still is pink and while we were there talking doug went from pink to white to yellow and his wife was holding his hand and uh his pastor was on the other side and his pastor's wife was there and his five kids were there and all of their kids his grandkids were there and i was there and some neighbors were there and we're all crowded in this tiny little room talking and laughing and kind of crying and looking over Doug. And I remember again, looking at the wall again and looking around the room. And I, like, when you talk about legacy, I kept thinking of that moment because I kept, I was like, this, like, this is it. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is as glamorous as it gets on your deathbed. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. This is glamorous as it gets in the house. You raise your kids in with your kids and your grandkids and some friends and family and people calling on the phone. Like, I'm like, that's it. And I know some people that have passed on as entrepreneurs and they were very heavy into the success and making money and they died the richest people in the graveyard. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't mean that having money is bad. You can have both, but it's just, when you talk about legacy, that's really important. You know, like, I mean, it goes back to what you said at the very beginning of the call. Um, was it, it's what people do or it's what you do when no one's looking. It's what we do when no one's watching. So, I mean, think of the impact that he had on you, your life and all the people around him, right? Because you still think of him often. Yep. That's impactful and that's legacy. And, and I think when people talk of, think about themselves someday, you know, would you be that kind of individual leader who people say, hey, look, you know, because uh, think about it, we all have that person we work for, we'd say we'd never work for them again. Unless they made me work for that person, I'd never work for them again. Or you're that type of person that they say, I didn't agree with everything, but well, I tell you, I'd work for him again. I'd work for her again, right? Yep. So that's the difference, right? It's that whole legacy and it's, it's the way that you respected them as individuals. And, and like I said, it doesn't mean, you know, it's funny, I when I wrote the book, I, I you know, one of the concepts that I, I think a lot about is leadership. And I think that people get caught up in titles. Like, yeah. you know, people think, oh, manager, CEO. Like to me, I have the greatest title I've ever had and I've just turned 60. So in my 60 years, I have the greatest title I've ever had in my life and that's grandpa. I love yeah. it. You know, I got two yeah. grandkids that are running around calling me grandpa. To me, that's the greatest title. But think about leaders, right? Leaders, it's not just being the CEO. To me, some of the greatest leaders are teachers, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And if you think about this for a second, if you ask uh, some people like uh, who the, their state senator is or who is the, who's the head of the, the province, they don't know. They couldn't tell you of Quebec. But if you said to them, hey, do you have a teacher that made an impact? Everybody stops, tilts their head and goes, oh, fifth grade teacher, yep. so-and-so. I mean, what a difference. I mean, I well, everybody has that teacher that has made an impact. Aren't they some of the greatest leaders of all time? I mean, think about it. They're mentors, they're leaders. They've impacted all of us. They have that legacy. How great is that? So to me, leadership is about the ability to make a difference in someone, in people's lives, to serve in that kind of mentoring role. And it's just to make a difference. You make a difference. Are people better because of their time with you? And if the answer is yes, then you know what? You've been a really good leader. You know, forget about whether you made it to this level or you got this number of diplomas or plaques on the wall. That means nothing. I mean, you know, yep. you're never going to lead a group of people who are never going to follow you, as you said, you know, and, and, and really create some wonderful things or, or, or have some, you know, really have some great success because, hey, I'm going, I'm going to go follow Rocky, but Daryl's got one more diploma than Rocky, so I'm going over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't work that way. So nobody ever in the history of the world. No. <laughs> you know, it's about leadership. It's about the way you interact with your people. It's about the way you describe the vision, the clarity you create. So I think you're right. I think it's about that individual. And think about how he impacted you today, well after he's passed. His family still thinks of him fondly because of the impact he's had on them. And that's the greatest legacy you can leave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So well said.
So, Rocky, what are some of the habits you feel have helped you on your path to success or that you've seen with the other successful entrepreneurs that you've been able to get to know and observe over the years? Well, yeah, I think there's two very important qualities. Uh, you know, I think it's hard work and enthusiasm. I think that there's no substitute for mm. hard work. I think that no matter how much technology there is, at the end of the day, it's still an individual performing something. And I think that whether you as the entrepreneur, you're still going to work hard. To me, enthusiasm is so important because hard work without enthusiasm Enthusiasm is just that, hard work. Gets old after yeah. wow. So you have to bring that enthusiasm. And there's going to be days that you come to the office or days that you're going to go to your business and you may not have a great day. But you know it's important for you to have a great day and to be that leader that kind of puts aside some of the things that are maybe going on in their personal life or maybe taking them down a little bit. Because your people need to see, you know, that positive, enthusiastic, energetic leader that they need to see. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean you have to be a cheerleader all the time. It doesn't mean you have to be, you know, the person always telling jokes. You can use your own individual style, but what's important is that you're excited about the business because they're feeding off of you. Mm. And I think that's important. Everything you do speaks about who you are and what we're trying to accomplish as an organization. So I think that that's important. So those two are two very important uh, hard work and enthusiasm. And then the third to me is time. I mean, sometimes it just takes a little bit of time. And I, I think you have to have realistic expectations, especially when you're starting your business. You know, good at realistic expectations. It's not that you shouldn't lower your goals. It's just, did you really give yourself a good opportunity to be successful? Mm-hmm. You know, I used to always tell people when we would put together a business plan or put together a plan, and then I would look, you know, and maybe on a six-month review, you know, things may not be exactly where they want them to be. You'd look at them, and the first thing i said, well, what was your expectation? What did you think was going to happen? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you mean? Well, when you put this plan together, what did you think was going to happen? What were the milestones you put together? Well, I just knew, I just thought we, we know we'd break even. Okay, but it's bigger than just thinking you're going to break even. It's what were the things we put in place? What were the things you, what were your expectations? And I think sometimes people have unrealistic expectations and they put more pressure on themselves. And once you start putting pressure on yourself, you know what? You tend to make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's important. I mean, you look at some of the things that you see in business today with some organizations like, you know, Wells Fargo or Uber, all those things. And you wonder, like, how do those things happen to large corporations like that? How does it happen to Volkswagen, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think what happens is, is that, you know, people start to feel pressure. And then once the pressure turns to pain, they start to make some bad decisions. So one of the things that I always tell people is make sure you have you, you set yourself up with some good expectations, uh, clarity and good understanding of what you're trying to accomplish and what are the milestones to get there. And then the last thing is there's three things you have to know about yourself as a leader and then as an organization about your organization. But the three things are who are you? What do you stand for? And what won't you compromise? And as an entrepreneur, sometimes the first two are easy. Who are you? Well, you know, I'm a business owner and this is my small business and this is what I'm trying to accomplish. You know, who are you? And what do you stand for? We stand for good service or we stand for value, you know. But then the question is, what won't you compromise? That's where, if you think about the Uber example or the Volkswagen example, Mm -hmm. somewhere along the line, somebody, you know, struggled with number three. What won't you compromise, right? Mm -hmm. Because you set out a target of, well, we're going to do this. And now you're, you know, we're not really there yet, but somebody tells you, well, you know, if we do this, we do that. Wait a second, we're not going to compromise that. In business, it could be a safety thing. Hey, look, you know, we're not going to do this if the weather's this. Well, now all of a sudden you get pressure from a client that, hey, we got to get this thing done. Well, you know, but we don't do this in this weather. Well, go ahead. Let's go ahead and do it. Or we're going to shortcut something. So it's those are the key things as a business owner, who you are, what you stand for and what you won't compromise. And you have to know three because you're going to get tested, whether it's a safety thing or whether it's a, mm-hmm. an accounting thing, whatever it is that gets somebody in trouble someday, you'll look and see that somewhere they compromise something. Mm-hmm. They said, well, you know, we can kind of strikes us a little bit. You got to know that clearly because once you compromise, a couple things happen. A, you could get yourself in some trouble from a moral, ethical perspective or a legal perspective, but B, you lose credibility with your people Mm -hmm. because you're never going to go back and say to them, hey, the next time that happens, we're going to do it right. No, no, no. You got to do it right the first time and people see everything you do. So Mm -hmm. that would be my sort of some things that that I think are important keys as you're thinking through and you're growing your business and and you're working through your skill sets as an 
entrepreneur, I think those are helpful. You know, hard work with enthusiasm is going to be critical. It's going to be important. Got to know what the things are, you know, who you are, what you stand for and what you won't compromise and take that inventory of yourself because I think that's so important. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic list. I think it can be tough for people to know what realistic expectations are to set, especially if it's something new for them. But I think that just by having, like you said, determining what the milestones are and just measuring it and being ambitious and cooperating with other people. And like you say, just kind of having that tender care in your approach, I think goes a long way. And just knowing, like you say, who you are, what you stand for and what you don't stand for. I think that's, you know, like, I think that's really important because that can be a dividing line. And especially if you're trying to create a culture and going back to the very beginning of the interview, talking about what your employees do when you're not around really matters. You know, how do you define that? Well, by making sure that you hire and that people know what, you know, what you won't compromise on and having that clarity in that as well and that company culture. So now, did you guys ever have issues with culture in the companies that you've worked with? Well, it's funny. Yeah, I think we did. Well, in UPS, I mean, we had a strong culture. When I retired from UPS, I took on a role as a CEO in a, in a telecom company that was a series of integrations of companies, and they didn't really have a defined culture. So one of the things that we helped them do is build that culture. And I think that it's important. But I think the first thing is you have to kind of establish, you know, what are the things that you're going to stand for? What are the things that you won't compromise? And for us in this particular company was integrity and safety. Mm-hmm. You know, we were doing cell tower upgrades and we were climbing cell towers and we were doing installations of cable and those kinds of things. And so safety was mm-hmm. you know, really had to become a, big, yeah. had to become a core value, yep. right? It had to be one of those situations where, hey, look, you know, I know that it's Super Bowl Sunday and, you know, the satellite TV now and there's snow on the roof and the customer's screaming, you got to go fix my TV, but we don't climb a roof when there's snow on it. You know, that's the day when people well, I can get up there. I'll just be careful. No, 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 no. Yeah. That's a day, you know, you can't compromise on safety. So for us, it was integrity and safety. And and so you have to really establish who you are and what you stand for and what you won't compromise. And then I think then as the leader, you set the tone from the top and that's how you build a culture. People have to see, you have to walk the talk, you have to get out there. You set the tone from the top and it kind of, to your point before, it trickles down, right? People see how you act in certain situations. They see how you conduct yourself and then they realize, okay, you know, that's what good looks like. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And those are the things, you know, that I'm going to get applauded for, right? So I always feel like you get out there and you try to find people doing good things and you reinforce those. I mean, there's enough people doing bad things. We can find them easily. Mm -hmm. Let's find the people doing good things and reinforce those good things, applaud them for good things. And then I think then you're setting the tone of what good looks like. Actually, that was leading the next thing because we're talking and it's easy to talk about the sunshine and rainbows and everyone's your friend when the sun's shining and they got cash in their pocket and a belly full of food. But who are they when it's rainy, cloudy, cold, when they're broke and hungry? And so kind of how do you handle the downfall? Like it's great to catch people doing the right things, but how do you handle people that aren't doing it right? Like when is enough enough, right? How do you define that line? <laughs> is there a tactful way to approach that? Well, I think, yes, absolutely. And, and unfortunately, you're going to have those situations and you have to address them, by the way, because there are no secrets in an organization, mm-hmm. right? And so what ends up happening is if you think about it, people kind of fall into three categories, right? There are the early adopters, mm-hmm. right? And those are the people that are trying to impress you. Maybe that's 20% of your people. And, you know, you come up with an idea and they're all excited and they're going to be the early adopters. Then there's 20% of the people, no matter what you come up with, they're never going to be happy. I mean, if you gave them a million dollars, they say to you, sure, you give them a million dollars, you know, I got to pay taxes on them. So you're never going to make them happy. So put them off to the side for a second. It's the 60% in the middle that you need to move to that kind of positive side. And they'll go either way, depending on you as a leader and how they feel their role in the organization is. And so you want to move them kind of to that early adopter side. So I think what's important is they see everything that goes on. And if you don't address those difficult situations or those conflicts that are happening or the people that need to be held accountable, they start to look and say, well, wait a second, you know, there's really no reason to be good. There's really no reason to be an early adopter because the person not doing the job is getting away with things anyway. Mm. So why, why, why kill myself? So I think that that's why you have to address those things. And I, so for me, I think it really starts with this whole, you know, you have to identify like, what is the problem here? You know, a lot of times we take the result and say, well, that's the problem. That's really not the problem. Something's happening along the way that has gotten us to this, which you're probably seeing as a straw that breaks the camel's back or, you know, it's really kind of the symptom. But what really is a true problem? So I think the first step is a 
identifying what's the true problem. Is it that they haven't been trained properly? They're disconnected from the organization. You know, what can I do to help them feel like they're part of this? And so you start with this, you know, let's see if we can get this person to understand what we're trying to accomplish. We need, we need their help. We need to get them moved in the right direction. About 80% of the time, you can take that troubled employee or that person that's not performing and you can kind of move them. Then unfortunately, there is a certain percent that no matter what you do, probably has to move outside the organization. It's maybe time for them to move on, bad fit. But I think you start with identifying the problem, understanding, you know, really getting data because you want to get away from, you know, it's a like or dislike. You want to get away from a personality conflict. You want it to be, hey, here's the data. We asked you to do this, that you were going to do it, but you didn't do it. Is this factual thing? And you get out of, well, you don't like me or I don't like you or I was never your favorite or we had a bad person. I think you get away from all that stuff and say, hey, look, you know, here's the facts, here's the data. And then I think you sit with them and you put together a plan. You know, I want to help you be successful. You know, it's kind of like the movie uh, Jerry Maguire, help me help you. Uh Let's put together a plan. You know, I'm willing to work with you, but you got to be willing to want to accomplish these goals and you put together a plan and then you monitor your plan. You never let a person get too far, you know, off plan that they can never help themselves back. Uh And so I think that, you know, that's kind of important. And you're always looking, what's our next steps? And once we get there, let's either celebrate the successes or say, hey, look, I got to tell you, you know, we've done these things. We all agree to these these steps that we thought were going to help take you to the next level. But you know what? We're not getting there. We're kind of running out of time. Is this the right fit for you? Are you comfortable here? You know, am I missing something? And so you try to move that person to where, you know, they clearly understand that whether, you know, do they want to be here or or don't they want to be here? Because if they want to be here, you're willing to help them, but you can't want it for them more than they want it for themselves. Mm, mm, mm. You can't want it for them. Yeah. More than they want it for themselves. That's what you'll get to at some point though. But I think first you start with identifying what the true problem is, you know, making sure that you've got some factual information that you, you take out the personalities, you, know, you develop and you kind of put together a good game plan for them. And then you make sure that you don't let them get too far off plan. Mm-hmm. And then you come up with, you know, okay, now that you're either getting on plan, what's the next steps? Or, hey, maybe you're not on plan. You don't seem happy. Well, what's the next step after that? So that's sort of a quick synopsis of, I, I think, you know, how to address that issue that but you have to address it. Right, right, right. Do nothing's not an option when it comes to that. And often by doing nothing or by avoiding the confrontation or avoiding the difficult situation, it just gives it space to grow and manifest and even multiply through other people, like you say. Like if one person's not doing it, why should I do it, right? Like that sort of tit for tat thing. So that's fantastic. Well, there's got to be some recognition or some reason to be good, right? I mean, besides your own personal desire to be good and do the right things, I mean, it'd be nice to get recognized for being good. If the organization's not recognizing good, then you should sit there and say, well, you know what? There's no advantage to being good. Why not just be in the middle? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. That's fantastic. So now with 360 Management Services, what exactly is it that your company does for people? You guys step in and you've got management professionals and you help with running companies. What is it that you guys do specifically? So we have uh, three legs of our stool at 360 Management Services. One leg of the stool is this keynote speaking and leadership, to, you know, motivational speaking, those kinds of things. And I, you know, I'm a keynote speaker at conferences and I, and I enjoy that. And so that's, you know, that, that's sort of a traditional uh, speaking engagement that, you know, I've been signed up for the rest of this year and already starting on 18. The second leg of our stool is one we really enjoy doing and it's leadership training and leadership development. And, you know, we work with organizations uh, on leadership training, both at the frontline level in seasoned professionals. And then we have topics that we really uh, dive into. Like, you know, one topic uh, I love to teach, I love to do is why values matter. And I think it's so important. And in fact, I'm working with Seton Hall University in New Jersey here, teaching a class on why values matter and why that's such an important part of good leadership. So we have this keynote speaking, leadership development piece. And then the third leg of the stool is really our kind of consulting in a little bit of a more traditional sense, but we do a process improvement. For us, it's really about the process. Do you have a process that creates an environment where people can be successful? I think all, too often people come in and everybody wants to just fix something. Well, that's great to fix it, but then are you going to come back in six months or a year and have to fix it again? So for me, it's having the right process. It's making sure that the right, you know, a master operating plan is in, 
in effect so that people can, you know, you, you can have continuous improvement. You don't go backwards. You know, things don't always go the way you want, but it's not because, you know, you don't have a process in place. It's okay. There are some things that are going to happen. There are some unintended consequences, but you can fix those things, right? You get right back on plan again and you get things moving. So for us, we're about process improvement. We're about looking at an organization and trying to come up with operating plans and come up with processes that help organizations have sustainable results as well. We talk about sustainable results. You have that process in place. If you think about, uh, I think you mentioned it before, think about an entrepreneur, you know, they tend to get frustrated and then they tend to do what? I'll just do it myself. Right. Okay. But as you start to grow as an organization, you may not have the ability, you may end up being a 24-7 operation. You may end up with five or six employees versus the one or two. Mm -hmm. What five or six employees, you're not doing it all yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So having that process to lay out, you know, how do you train your individuals? What are the skill sets they need to have? You know, what's the process that we have in place to help them execute, you know, our brand and our solution for our customers is so important. And I think that's a step that gets missing. So we like to do those things, come in, do an analysis, look at your business and say, okay, well, look, if you're going to train the next three people to come on board, how are you going to train them? What is it they need to understand and learn? We love doing that at 360. You know, our, our background from our UPS days is uh, a lot of process improvement, as you know, UPS is an engineered company. I mean, it, it's amazing, you know, how we engineer delivering a package uh, and, and all the things that we do so that every driver clearly understands what they're being asked to do and how the routes are laid out. Well, we took all that knowledge and understanding that we grew up with in, through our UPS days and now try to apply it to businesses to help them so that they can, you know, replicate what good looks like on a daily basis, customer by customer by customer. Because mm, there's something, if people listening don't, like process is a huge part of it. People talk about goal setting all the time, but there's really only three types of goals. There's outcome goals, process goals, and performance goals. And so the outcome goal may be to have, you know, a seven-figure company that might be, you know, or to have a million dollar net worth. That's the outcome goal. And the performance goal is to, you know, execute at your peak potential. Like performance goal is to accomplish a certain revenue every month. If you want to keep the numbers, and even in sports, you can do the same thing. The outcome is the win goal. The performance goal is to go and hit all your PR numbers or your personal record numbers, right? I want to go on game day or on the competition day and I want to be doing my best. The best I've done in training, I want to beat, I want to meet or exceed those goals on competition days. So that's the performance goal. The outcome goal from that is to win the gold medal. But the process goals are what get you there and refining that process, you know, and just really beating on your craft. You know, one of my favorite quotes about mastery, do it until it becomes dull, then keep doing it until it's beautiful again. That's how you master something. And I think that that's kind of where process comes in because the process is the path that takes you to performance and your outcome. So it makes perfect sense to me that you guys do process improvement because that's where you'll get the biggest leverage in any company is if you can improve their process, it'll have an exponential effect over time. It's a multiplier. It's like a sales rep. If they only close one out of 10 leads and you can improve their process, so they close two out of 10, you've doubled their results from that. If you continue to improve their process and refine it, and it's a, it's a self-improving process, they go from one to three to six. I mean, that's massive impact, right? So it's all about the process. I've been saying that forever, at least for entrepreneurs and my clients that it's the day-to-day your 24 hours is really like as when i deal with the owner directly it's really the 24 hours you have in a day that matters the most because everybody only gets 24 hours it's the ultimate equalizer oh absolutely it's what you do with that 24 hours you know when i did martial arts we would say the world champions don't become world champions at the world championship the world championship is where everyone finds out who had the best habits, who had the best routines, who had the best training partners, who optimized their lives and their process of training better than anyone else. So, you know, I, I think what, I mean, look, I'm a Jersey guy and a giant fan. So, I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not a New England Patriot fan by any stretch of imagination, but if you think about it, I think that team probably is the best example of what you were just talking about, right? No matter who comes in to that organization, the New England Patriots, he wins with them. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, this guy, you know, Randy Wasley, you know, you know, someone else comes in. This person leaves because they're in that process, right? You know, a coach Wooden at UCLA had a process for everything he did, and so you know, yeah, they were great athletes, but we can all think of teams as like great athletes that didn't win, mm-hmm. yeah, right? It's the process, right? It's like you know, and if you think about you know, you're Canadian, you know, you're talking about Canada. I mean, think about the Pittsburgh Penguins now. I mean, it was that team before they fired the coach and brought the coach in midway last year. I mean, what was the difference? He brought in his system, he brought in his process, and then they all 
all bought in and then they win the Stanley Cup two years in a row. Mm -hmm. It's a system. It's a process. You can have the greatest talented athletes if they don't follow the process or they don't have a system, right? They can't replicate good. And I think you're absolutely right. And and it's in everything. It's in business. It's in sports. It's in your personal life. It's how do you go about doing things? And do you have a vision of what good looks like? And do you have that process that you can, you know, visualize and execute too? Yep. Yep. You know, I agree wholeheartedly. So if anyone's been listening to this and they've really fallen, uh, they really resonate with your message and they want to contact you either about keynote speaking, about leadership training development, or about uh, your consulting with their process and uh, to help improve their, their processes, what are the best ways to reach out? Our website is number 3 and then the word 60, S-A-X-T-Y, managementservices.com. And so there you can see our kind of portfolio services. You can sign up for me to be a speaker. We can do leadership training. I also have a lot of dialogue with people that way too. They may just email me an entrepreneurial email and say, I have this issue. What do you think? And I love that because I feel like I can help. It could be as simple as that. You can buy my new book, uh, Tighten the Lug Nuts. You can buy it through the website or on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, Tighten the Lug Nuts. So all those are right there on our website. My email address is Rocky, R-O-C-K-Y, Romanella, R-O-M-A-N-E-L-L-A at gmail.com. Simply email me that way. Because I learn from these questions that I get asked. I mean, I think it's great if those opportunities exist where I can help out someone. And you know, it could be a simple, hey, you know, I, I, I had that situation happen myself or, you know, th- this took place or, you know, I never thought of it. That's a great question. Let me think through that a little bit. For me, it just kind of, it just keeps my mind working and keeps me in, involved. And I, I love it. Mm, so well said. So that was go to 360, the number three, then S-I-X-T-Y management. So 360managementservices.com or email. It's Rocky, R-O-C-K-Y, Romanella, R-O-M-A-N as in night, E-L-L-A at gmail.com. And Rocky, thank you so much for your time today. You've been so forthcoming. I've gotten a few pages of notes. I know the listeners will have as well. Now, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? Well, I think we just talked about the book. I mean, the book came out February 15th. Uh, it's a great, it's a leadership book, but it's a leadership book, not just for business leaders. It's really for individuals. All of us are leaders in some way, whether it's in our church group or Little League or teachers or mentors. And so I wrote it with the thought of leadership being this important skill that we all have. And all of us are leaders in some way, shape or form at some time in our life. And so a lot of stories, I uh, the same way we talked today, the book's written with a lot of stories, uh, you know, uh, throughout my career. And it's also in some way a thanks to my dad, who was a great influence in my life growing up. And my wife, who's been a tremendous influence and support throughout my business career. There's a lot of things in the book I talk about that Debbie Robinella, I learned from Deb. So I think that's important as well. So I think it's a cool book. I think you'll like it. I hope you like it. And then uh, I think the other thing I would say to you is if uh, if you ever want to do it again, I'd love to. And if your audience would l- has some questions they want to send in to you and you want me to answer them, I'd love to do that as well. That's awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much. We'll make sure to include all that in the show notes. And Rocky, just thank you for sharing with us. I know you could be with your grandkids right now or with some of these other people that are reaching out to you. And so I just appreciate you coming and sharing with our audience because I know this is going to have an impact on some people. And then the beautiful thing about this is it's an exponential. Yep. Not only will you impact them and their staff, but their families, and it'll have a trickle-down effect from there. So thank you so much for sharing with us. I really, truly, sincerely appreciate your time. I enjoyed it. It was a pleasure talking to you. Take care of yourself. Be safe. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. 
That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.